Hello, and welcome to the Humumu Halloween Home Horror Hoedown. The podcast where we watch 31 horror movies throughout the hallowed month of October. Ranging from the critically acclaimed to film school projects gone gruesomely awry. And we take them all way too seriously. I'm your host, Mike Hommel. And I'm your host, Sully Hommel. Now warning, we use a ghoulish number of spoilers, so watch the movies first. Second warning, we don't know anything about anything, so don't take us seriously while we take these movies seriously. Let's talk about It Comes at Night from 2017. Yes. So It Comes at Night is a post-apocalyptic story. So it would seem. Although we are never even remotely given a fraction of an idea of what actually happened. Yeah, it's like The Walking Dead, except there's no zombies. Well, I mean, yeah, it's clear that it's a zombie movie in the sense that there is something infecting people and... The non-infected people are terrified of this infection. But yes. maybe it's not even a zombie movie. Well, maybe it's yeah. just infection. I don't think there's any evidence that these infected people become zombies. But, I mean, it still makes sense to not let them touch you and to burn yeah. up their bodies and all because it's a bad disease. I mean, that's the thing. I was thinking that the burning of their bodies was, you know, stopping them from coming back. But that's just something we also do when we have an excessive amount of bodies happening yeah and no way of addressing that that situation um so so there's some kind of infection we don't know what we don't know where it came from we don't really know how it works we have a vague idea of how this family who are the main characters of the story what they think is happening but we don't really know and then beyond that, it becomes the story of, in this post-apocalyptic world, what happens when you, who have kind of hunkered down and established your routine, come across someone else who needs help? Indeed. Which then reminds me of Blood Quantum, where the, you know, the Micmac tribe was having to decide whether or not to help the white folks that were coming across the bridge. Yeah. That's the crux of the whole movie is he's presented with somebody who breaks into his house and, you know, they they need food and stuff and they've got family waiting for them. And even as a non-Soli, most of my notes are about how all of this could have been avoided if he had just shot that guy in the head and moved on. Like, it's so interesting, these post-apocalyptic stories, which this is basically like an arc from the walking dead you know like this is a few episodes of the walking dead that we just watched because it's all about people and different groups and not trusting each other oh yeah trust is a huge yeah. thing like there are so many situations where as the viewer i was caught in between these two not knowing like we don't know we don't who's know right and yeah i mean we trust <clears throat> The main characters, because they're the main characters, so we're like, they're going to be fine. But we never know quite what the other guy's up to, and you want to help people, but don't do it. But there were also situations, though, where I was like, I can see how this other guy, the stranger, how he's having to trust 
that these people, you know, he's putting himself and his family in the hands of these strangers. Like he had no reason to trust them. We did because we knew they were the main characters, but he had no reason to think that they weren't going to, you know, steal their goats and chickens and then murder them all in the woods, which, uh, (laughs) I mean, he wasn't totally wrong there. Yeah. Well, that was, you know, the big final conflict, the final showdown. Nobody was wrong. Everyone was trying to stay safe. And because there wasn't any trust, they all were at each other's throats and at any moment could kill each other. And, None of it was wrong. It's very tricky. There was also, though, reason not to trust each other. Because, yes. you know, the the ultimate showdown it, it starts because there is a chance that one of them has been infected with this whatever it is that comes on the night air, right? Yeah. But apparently doesn't get in the house. Like, how is the house I... airtight? Like... Okay, there were some flaws there. No, I don't think that's what it was, though. First, I think It Comes at Night is a meaningless title, and there's nothing that comes at night. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. I'm glad to hear you say that, because one of my last notes was, what's with the title? <laughs> yeah. But I think the disease was just just like a regular disease that was out there, and so they were afraid of being bitten by something or maybe just catching it airborne. So they tried to stay hunkered down, and they wore masks when they went outside. But it became clear that that child had been infected. Yes. How did he get infected? Was it from the dog? Well, was the dog out there at that point? Oh, remember, the door to the dog had been opened, and they thought the kid had done it. So probably he got infected by the dog, yeah. Okay. Okay. And the dog got it somewhere out in the woods. They knew something had happened. Right. Okay. So to go back to that, like they strongly suspect that one of them, the youngest, like this five-year-old kid has been exposed to whatever infection this is, whatever virus this is or whatnot. And they sort of do the right thing in that they all talk about quarantining and they go to their own rooms, but then nobody actually stays in their room. Like, they don't yes. actually quarantine. They just talk about quarantining. And they definitely want to enforce the quarantine on ev- on the other group. Yeah. But they each consider their own group somehow exempt from it. Yeah. And that felt very relatable that and is, real. That is relatable. Because if we've learned nothing else, it's that literally everyone in our country has some reason why they shouldn't have to follow whatever set of protocols, myself included. Like, there was a point where I got on a plane and went to California for a wedding. Yeah. You know, it was during the lull. It was when we thought things were getting better. Like, I have a lot of reasons why I decided that that was okay. But honestly, that was just me justifying why I didn't have to continue following the protocols, you know, yeah. and we've all been doing that. To be fair, that wasn't the real protocols. That was our protocols because we are going much tighter than America's rules. So what I what I meant by that was, though, is the protocols that would actually have been safe right. and effective in some way. Yeah. Because what we've been doing is literally just suffering for no reason whatsoever because – 
we haven't been following them enough to actually have them be any good. So then we're just denying ourselves with no positive outcome from the denial. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not it's been broken. well managed at and, all. <laughs> and in this movie, it was that same mentality of like, oh, but I need to leave the room for this really important <laughs> reason. When in fact, no. No. Nope. Everyone just stays in the room until the quarantine period is over or until everyone in the room is dead. Like Yeah, and this disease went fast. It was like one day and you're dead. Right. Now, would the outcome of the movie been any different had they both both families gone into their separate rooms and stayed there and not come out again? I'm going to say no, but only because their stupid son had already gotten infected. So that's the thing. Like, all of the tragedy that happened at the end of this movie where Paul is, like, hunting down this other family and mm -hmm. murdering them one by one, like, all of that could have been avoided and it could have just gone its natural way where they would have all just died of the virus. Yeah. Instead, we had to add all this well, human violence on top of it. All of that happened because they completely violated Soli's rules of infection. Because the family with the child that was sick, first child that was sick, they were like, no, no, he's our baby. Let's just hug onto him real tight and not, you know, separate ourselves from him because we like him so much. And well, but didn't so they, they just got super sick. Didn't they both get infected at the same time, though? Like, because I think the kid, he opened the door to let the dog in, I guess. I don't know. And then the older boy finds him sleeping somewhere and returns him home, you know, to yeah. his bedroom. And that so was those two, they both get infected then. There was no point where a decision could have been made where the original family would have been saved. Well, if they had also quarantined from their son. But they didn't know, like... No, they didn't None of know that information was, was out until everyone had already been exposed. That's true. But what this other family did with their little kid was complete disregard for Soli's rules. It was, oh, yeah. no, they we wanted like to, our kid. They wanted to, yeah, they knew he was sick and they wanted to like take him and wander out into the world, which yeah. I guess Paul having to kill them all like saved other people. Mm -hmm. But it didn't make a difference for anybody in this movie, I don't no. think. Yeah, it was all about that trust because there was the whole thing where that we can't let them leave because they can come back and take our stuff and mm -hmm. it just it's interesting because it's it's this post-apocalyptic story and everybody watching it i would imagine feels like yeah this is understandable you can't trust you know everyone's on the edge of death and is taking absolute precautions but you know, then you think about the real world. Why is it okay to trust anybody in the real world? Which we do. You know, we let people into our house all the time to do stuff and they could just up and murder us. But it's okay because we know they're not that desperate. I, th I was going to say, desperation is the key in this scenario. And, and it turns out, like, I think had the dog not gotten sick and had the dog not infected the kid... I don't think this stranger family was untrustworthy. I think they were fine. And if they hadn't been forced to choose between protecting strangers and protecting their own, these two families could have lived together for a long time. Like they I don't think either family had the intention yes. of 
killing the other to take their resources. I think they were prepared to share and be a community. Yeah. But then you throw in that extra pressure of it's that loyalty. It's <laughs> like they had to choose between taking care of their son and taking care of this tenuously created community yeah. and they hadn't established enough of a relationship for that to survive that that challenge yeah that makes sense it was um just not safe not safe no. for anybody no it wasn't and like this was one of the most depressing movies that we have seen all month and possibly one of the most depressing <laughs> horror movies we've seen in all of our reviewing like I can think of very few that leave so little hope at the end. There's that uh -huh. black and white one. The eyes of my mother. Yes. And I don't know, maybe the Babadook or... The Babadook is depressing. Ooh, there was that other one about a mother where it was the mom and the daughter in the car in the woods. The monster. Yeah. These are the ones we give fives to. I mean, well, there's something to be said about exploring that kind of dark place right mm -hmm. but usually there's some kind of growth or hope or like well that's over but everyone else is okay kind of feeling and yeah. in this one it was just well i guess they shouldn't have tried to be human <laughs> yeah we don't know what's happening in the world outside of these people and mm -mm. it's weird like maybe these are the last people alive in the world <laughs> or maybe it was just a local disease and it's nothing and yeah. they don't seem to know. No. For some reason, like at first I thought they had ended up in this house, in this, you know, way out in the woods, separate from everybody, like by fleeing whatever was happening. Yeah. But when he was asking the stranger all kinds of questions about like, what did he see on the mm -hmm. way here and all of this, I really got the sense that they didn't actually know whether there were other people out there or what had happened to them or like that they had just been lucky yeah. In the sense that they were separated from everyone else when whatever happened happened and then and knew enough not to go back, but didn't really know what yeah, was going know. on. I mean, it feels like this is sort of early days of this apocalypse. It's like. Except it can't be too early days because yeah. they've already got all of these protocols in place. Yeah. They've got their house all boarded up and they know like, here's when we wear our masks. Here's when it's okay to not wear masks because they took them off outside during daytime hours. Like they had, they had come up with all of these kind of arbitrary rules about what the world was like now. Yeah. And we never got any sense of whether those rules were accurate or not. Yeah. I don't know if it's like, if we just don't know stuff or if they didn't really flesh that out and figure it out. Yeah. It's also, hard to tell. They had a garden in their attic. Yeah. With like <laughs> I don't not fully mature plants, but definitely plants that were grown. So like this had to have been months into it at least. Yeah. But you know, not not years later where it, this is just life now. Like Yeah. It had that cuz the stranger will was like, you know, we were in the city and we fled the city and now we're here and we don't have food. So it feels like you know, we're not deep into this. Yeah. But then he fled the city and he just happens to have a flock of chickens and some goats. Yeah, I don't know. Like, okay, I said earlier that neither family seemed like they were really bad, that they just didn't trust each other for, I mean, what, to my pragmatist mind, are smart reasons. Sure. But there were definitely some hints that maybe he wasn't being upfront about everything. Right. 
there were several things. Like, when Paul first took Will back home to get his wife and son, they got jumped by some guys Mm -hmm. very quickly, and it felt very much like an ambush Will had set up. And then there was some weirdness over, why'd you shoot that guy? Which made it seem like he was actually a friend of Will's, and he's trying to still be sneaky, but also really wished his friend hadn't been shot. But that never plays out. That never means anything. The thing is, though, even if that was true and they had set up an ambush, the two people he had set up an ambush with were now dead. And so the smart thing for him to do would be to disavow all knowledge of who they were and just move on, like make new alliances. Yeah. It was the only way. But then one part of the movie was about how Travis, the son of Paul would go into like the attic and listen to people in the house Mm -hmm. talking and he never heard the new people say anything Mm -hmm. incriminating, which that should have been a part of it if there was something going on. And it could very well be that he just was shocked that Paul had shot this guy without (laughs) asking him any questions or finding any information out or anything like that he just wasn't prepared for that level of decisiveness in the face of this. And Paul's decisiveness I think is what has kept his family alive all this time. Up till now. And that's the whole thing about the movie is that he has this decisiveness and then the decisiveness comes up against, do I let this other family die? Do I have them directly on my conscience in Mm -hmm. order to protect my own family? And he couldn't do it. I mean, this is... And his wife didn't let him do it, you know? The moral of the movie is... Don't be moral. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there is there is no ambiguity about the last scene where everyone in the stranger family, um, Will, Kim, and Andrew are all dead. Horrifically. Yeah. Travis is dead. The dog is dead. Like, all of these deaths have happened because, you know, because they were together when the one person got infected. And the two remaining people... Paul and Sarah are just sitting across the table looking at each other, clearly infected and waiting to die. Like knowing that one choice to let this other family in was the end. They lost everything. Do not have empathy ever. (laughs) And that's not a great message. It's not. And that's the thing about horror movies is you can't take them to be life lessons. (laughs) You know, like... There's a difference. Well, I mean, there are some, but I think, you know, as much as we joke about, you know, my zombie protocols and and whatnot, Mm -hmm. I can watch this movie and be like, oh, Paul was right all along. He should not have compromised his ideals. Like he, he was keeping his family safe and he let empathy become a weakness that caused him to lose everything. Like, that's what this movie is saying. I can watch that as a story and be entertained by it, but in no way am I going to take that and make that be my actual decisions about the world. That's good. Like, it it just... It just can't, because... Because even if you survive, you're not really living anymore. I mean, yes, you said that like it's cheesy, but... I was going to say the exact same thing. (laughs) I I believe it. What's the point in being alive if you're just a rat in a cave fending off everything else? I don't know why it's a rat, but whatever. Yeah. And the thing is, that was the harshest part about the movie is that this original family, Travis and Sarah and Paul and 
Bud, the grandfather who dies right at the very beginning, like they were all in his house. The fact that one of them had been infected already means that they weren't safe. Mm -mm. They were just safer. And they were not happy. Like they were not (laughs) a happy family unit. Sarah and Paul were not, you know, like their marriage wasn't in a good place. Like nobody was living a satisfied complete life it's a high stress existence right and yeah i mean i guess you want to stay alive because there's the potential that life could get better at any given moment that's the you know the mist theory (laughs) yes but that potential came along and for a while for several you know for like the, the the middle of the movie you were seeing them all kind of come back to life. Like you were seeing mm-hmm. that having new people around reinvigorated them and, yes. and gave them more purpose. You know, they were teaching each other things and sharing and the children, you know, the two kids were not playing together because they were very different <laughs> very. ages. But, you know, they were there was community building. Yeah. And then it all ended. And my note about that section of the movie was, I'm more on edge now that it's all idyllic. (laughs) Like, I was scared of what was coming. (laughs) Well, it wasn't ever idyllic. Because even as all of that was happening, I'm like, oh, so this teenage kid is definitely creeping on the new lady in the house, which is not going to do good things. Mm -hmm. And there was a weird, like, situation and potential tension where the new dad was teaching Travis, the teenage boy, how to chop wood. Yeah. And all I could think was, first of all, if they've been out there for more than a week, (laughs) how does Travis not already know how to chop wood? Like, come on. Uh You know, and you watch Paul kind of seeming to be jealous of the relationship that Will is developing with Paul's son. And part of me is like, well, why didn't you teach him how to do this? Like, you step up, you know? Yeah. You left a void. But there was definitely a weird tension there, too. That's kind of my biggest feeling about this movie. My first note is feels like a Netflix original. And it does. Like, it has the, the look and the feel of a Netflix original, even right down to the unsatisfying ending. Yeah. I mean, it's a very distinct and complete ending. But it's also the whole movie presents you with tons of potential questions and ideas and, you know, what's Will doing? Is he working with these guys? Is he trying to take his family away? Is he plotting to kill them? Are they plotting to kill him? Mm-hmm. All of these things come up and in the end, none of it is addressed and none of it matters because they get sick and die and that's it. Yeah. Those two guys, who are they? Yeah. What were they doing? Why Why have they not come across any other people if there were two other strangers like, yeah, like that close half by? a mile away? Yeah, there were a lot of loose threads left at the end of this movie. Yeah. More than were necessary, which almost feels like they were put in because the movie was going to be too short. You know, there wasn't enough story unless you put in yeah. all these side bits, but then they didn't really care about any of the side <laughs> bits. So they just... Yeah. They were just, you know, packing peanuts. When we were 23 minutes from the end of the movie, I wrote, still not clear what's happening at all, which is kind of dumb because it was very clear what's happening. It's all really straightforward, but they've put in all these hints of other yeah. things and none of it was anything. Right. Suggestions that it wasn't as straightforward well, and then it was. Which goes to the question of what actually happened on the fateful night. 
because the outside door got opened and Stanley came in, then the and also the inside door got opened. They had like an airlock room basically, and both of those doors got opened so that the dog could get into the airlock room and die there. And so we're, are we just saying Andrew did that all that? He just opened all the doors, he heard the dog and did it? I don't know, because I feel like I remember at one point they were saying it couldn't have been Andrew because he wasn't tall enough to open those doors. Yeah, they thought it was really unlikely. I don't know. And it feels like there's some kind of monster that comes at night that is an issue, but there was no monster, so I don't know. Yeah, it was confusing, to say the least. Yes. So within minutes of starting this movie, I had my like big important question Mm -hmm. for the movie. And then way toward the end, it kind of surfaced again in a way. So my big important question was, is idealism, because we keep coming back to these ideas of idealism and pragmatism and, you know, romanticizing the world and, you know, all of that. That seems to be our theme this month. Is idealism reserved for the privileged? Yes, it is. I mean, that's basically what it is. You can have hope that things will work out for you if, in fact, during your life, things have worked out for you. Yes. And And if you have lived a life where things have consistently not worked out for you, you learn not to trust idealism. You learn not to trust hope. And you become much more pragmatic, I think. You become much more... Hardened. Hardened is a good word. Yeah. So then when it came back around at the end was because Travis, you know, when the quarantining stuff was all happening, Travis was not anywhere near as pragmatic as his parents were, right? He was like, he's just a kid. Like, you know, he was trying to protect this other family. He he didn't want to see them have to make the decisions that they all knew they had to make, right? Yes. And it made me realize in this sense and in the real world, youth is a form of privilege because he hasn't been beaten down the way his parents had been beaten down. He hasn't experienced loss and mistakes and failures and all of those things, betrayal, all of that in the same way that his parents have just not necessarily because their lives were that terrible. I don't know what their lives were like, but just sheer time spent on earth provides yeah. you with more experience well, around that. They say idealism of youth is a thing. And yeah, that's and, it. And I mean, I, I guess that wasn't like a new idea for me, but it this movie like pulled that all together in a really interesting way. Yeah. Travis was shocked when he he like comes back to his parents after sneaking out and listening to the stranger family talking about we're going to leave and we mm-hmm. don't we want to get out of here he he comes in and he's like hey i think they're going to leave everything will be okay and he didn't think that was anything and his parents immediately jumped up and got their guns and they're like we're going to have to kill them now <laughs> right even sarah who yes. definitely was not as hardcore as paul was They were like, oh, no, we cannot let this family go out and tell people that we exist and we have resources that other people will want. Yeah. Which was an interesting choice, I think, in terms of storytelling, because they could have avoided that and made them seem softer and more appropriate, more relatable, I guess, from the privilege of not being in a (laughs) post-apocalyptic world. Yeah. If they had said, oh, no, we cannot let this family who we know is infected, 
go out into the world and infect other people. Like there could have been, they could have taken the exact same actions for what could have been considered a more quote unquote noble purpose. True. Instead, it was straight up, no way. (laughs) They will tell people about us. Other people will come. We cannot defend ourselves against any more people. Like, yeah. We have to keep ourselves secret. Yeah. And in 2021, that more noble idea, I mean, that's what we just keep telling everybody you got to do. Just do it. Just protect everyone around you. It's so easy. It's not even a big sacrifice. But no, there's so many people who just want their little kingdom and to shoot anybody who comes near. And I know that there are a lot of people where it is a big sacrifice, where they will lose their homes or they will not be able to feed their children or they will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those things. You know, like there there are so many people who are forced to go out into the world every single day because they or their children will die if they don't, right? Yep. And those are the people who everyone is mad at when in fact there are way more people like us who should be staying home, who are not staying home, not because we will die, like literally die if we don't, but because, oh, I'll just die if I don't get my coffee. I'll just (laughs) die if I don't go see, you know, my friends right now. Like, it's that, that idea of, well, again, the privilege of idealism and not having suffered in the way other people have. So yeah. the the very idea of not being able to go where you want to go exactly when you want to go there is unthinkable. Yeah. Ratings. It Comes at Night has flaws. There are too many loose ends. I don't think the writing is as tight as it pretends to be. <laughs> but overall, it was very enjoyable to watch. Enjoyable in the sense that it was an entertaining story. It kept me interested. The technical skills of making this movie were well done. I liked the acting of all everyone involved. But I think that Netflix original kind of weakness there in the ending and in the in the really weaving all of the pieces together properly is going to cost it. Mm-hmm. So I am going to give this movie four and a half red doors out of five. I want this to be a five plus movie. It goes into five plus territory in a big way, Mm. but it fails to fulfill all of the promises that it sets up. So it just, it just can't. Yeah. Plot is very important to me. It's a big part of what I watch a movie for. You know, like, I'm interested to see how these pieces that they've laid out are going to come together. And so you get a movie like this that lays out a bunch of pieces and then you step on them like they're Legos and they jab you in the (laughs) foot for the worse pain than childbirth. Uh Absolutely. Uh And that just really ruins it for me to the point where I don't feel that there's any reason to ever watch this movie. Like, it... Really? It doesn't have a point. Like, it's very Netflix original in that way, where it's like, why did we watch all these different events when in the end everyone just falls over dead? It's one of those things. See, I disagree with you. 
Yeah, I mean, you seem to appreciate a lot about it. Because I did get something. Like, I feel like they presented their point. Yeah, which is an evil point. Yes. But I agree with that. But it's, again, it comes back to plot. Like, Mm -hmm. as a plot, there's nothing to it. There's no no arc or anything to be for it to tell me. There's just everybody falls over dead. I mean, I see what you're saying, but I imagine that as more of like an open house movie where there was mm-hmm. literally no explanation. Yes. Nothing happened. <laughs> I like agree we had with that. no idea. There was no message from it. Whereas this one feels less like they just forgot to write the last 10 minutes of the movie and more <laughs> like, you know, they just used too many packing peanuts and they didn't they didn't address all the packing peanuts. Yeah. I don't well, know. But, those, you know, I see your point. Those packing peanuts are a problem for me. Yeah. And uh, mostly because of how strongly and intensely they set things up. Mm-hmm. You know, they they left all these real strong emotions. Like, especially throughout the entire movie, Travis has all these dreams. They always involve black goo, which is like the sickness. And it seems like it means something and it doesn't. I mean, other than I guess their premonitions of the fact that he's going to get sick and die, but. Or just straight up anxiety dreams because he lives in a world where people suddenly get sick and die within a couple of days. But they're presented in such a forward way, right in your face of this is important and it's not. So all of that kind of thing really puts me off of it, but I really respect the quality of it it's it's so much a netflix original in every way for me like really high quality well created well acted well built but not well written and not put together in a good way so i'm only going to give it three red doors out of five okay and i i don't recommend it because it doesn't feel like it goes anywhere Interesting. This is one of those rare times where we have very differing opinions. Yes. Because I definitely recommend watching this movie. I can see you doing that. Yeah. 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 Well, anybody who's listened to enough of our podcast will know whether they agree with you or whether they agree with the person who knows what they're talking about. Uh, You just (laughs) wait. You just said the same thing twice. You should go back and fix that. (laughs) You're funny. So then let's talk about the Evil Twins, which is It Waits from 2005. I know that I'm supposed to be leading this conversation, <laughs> but I watched this movie with you. You were doing something in a written, I think. Well, I mean, I was doing, I wasn't watching, watching it. Like I was <laughs> sitting in the room, but I did pay attention more than I expected to. And at this moment in time, I literally cannot remember one single detail about this movie. So I'm going to have to have you lead the conversation. Well, I think you're better off. <laughs> I think you're doing just fine with that. This is uh whew, it's it's the story of a park ranger kind of person. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I got it now. She's out there supposed to be like watching the forest from her little tower and then a monster comes and like kills everybody. Yeah. And that's what happens. But the meat of the story is that she is she's also dealing with trauma around something that happened to her friend and her feelings about that thing that happened. And that's supposed to be like the deep meaningful part of the movie and yeah. it was terrible. It was. There's no reason anyone needs to see this movie. It's one of those really low budget just 
cheese ball. It looks like a sci-fi original. It's a dumb little monster uh, zipping around. There's a great part where a, um, a human corpse is dropped from the sky onto someone to smush them. And that was cool. There were several times when, when bodies or body parts were dropped from above, like rolled yes. off of rooftops or <laughs> so, uh, it lots happened of a times. lot. Yeah. Yeah. The monster would uh, mess around with people by like, you know, leaving out corpses and moving them around to make it scary for them. And it was not scary for me. It was scary for the characters. So I do remember one part where she goes back to somewhere and goes in and the monster has set three of the people that it's already killed up in like a vignette situation sitting at the dining room table and one of them has their head on a plate. Yeah, something like that. What? That's how it is. That's how this monster operates. I mean, that suggests a level of planning and thought and... It was a smart monster. It was like psychologically torturing her. Yeah. Rather than just attacking her. Yeah. I mean, you might think that would be interesting, but it was not. It was not. Because that was the only instance of that happening. The rest of it was just her being attacked by a monster. Like it could have, it might as well have been a bear. Yeah. I don't know. So I clearly cannot rate this movie because I did not watch it enough to actually know what was going on. Okay. But if I was going to rate it, I would give it a one. It was bad. I'm going to give it one African gray parrot out of five. Also, this is one of those movies where a parrot is played by a person doing the voice. And it's never convincing. No. You totally know it's a person. Yeah. I had some theories about the parrot that did not come true, but would have made for a much more interesting movie. Yeah, if it was secretly the killer. I uh, know I can't tell you what my theory <laughs> is without giving away important details of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, this movie was a waste of time. Don't watch it. Just know if you have any smart ideas while you're watching about what could be going on with the parrot, it's not. <laughs> That's a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> and coming up tomorrow, what do we have? Tomorrow's film is entitled Charlie's Farm from 2014. Hmm. And we couple this with a film from 2010 called Farm. And you think, well, I see the connection, but, but do you see the connection? Because in fact, I saw the little blurb about this movie, and it is not only called Farm, it's a farm. Owned by a guy named Charlie. <gasps> so it's effectively the exact same movie. Oh my gosh. I mean, surely they can't be anything else to these movies. Obviously not. Um, can I tell you, Charlie's Farm, uh -huh. the first thing my brain did was put Charlie the Unicorn uh -huh. of YouTube fame <laughs> yes. and Animal Farm together. Well, that's interesting. That's much more artistic because for me, when I hear Charlie's Farm, I'm like, this is like a little... Nickelodeon show. You know? <laughs> sure. Like it's it's a cartoon where it's all weebles. <laughs> yeah. They're like, come on down to Charlie's farm, Charlie's farm, Charlie's farm. <laughs> okay. That's probably what it uh, is. Well, I guess we'll see which one of us is right. Yeah. I will see you back here tomorrow. Okay. See you then on the flippity floppity. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's Sean. where I'll see you. <laughs> oh, Charlie. I'm not gonna start with so. Come on down.
down to Charlie's farm. Charlie's farm. Charlie's farm. We're in a delete deck. Okay. I mean, terrible. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you might think that would be interesting, but it was not. It was not.